Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Previously on Deep Cover. In Michigan, in the early 1980s, an FBI agent named Ned Timmons followed a hunch. He believed that a drug ring was smuggling massive amounts of pot into America. And he thought that the local biker gangs were involved in some way. So Ned went undercover using a new name, Ed Thomas. He grew a Fu Manchu mustache, rode a Harley Davidson, and started hanging out in roadside honky-tonks, all the while gathering intel. Well, I had sources up in northern Michigan, bikers, and they would talk about, the bikers would get their supply of weed when, when these big shipments would come in, you know, which is 50,000 pounds, 100,000 pounds, or whatever would come into the Detroit warehouse. Ned kept hearing chatter. There's this huge deal out there, and it, and it involves shrimp boats and barges and airplanes. And so I told my bosses about it, you know, and they kind of said, well, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, right, Tim is what he's smoking. Ned heard that this pot might be headed to a storage facility somewhere in Detroit, the El Dorado of stash houses. Over at the FBI, Ned's bosses had their doubts. But Ned stayed on the trail of intel, hanging out with his informants. Whenever I walked into a house or, or one of their houses or hotel or where they were, I always had it in my head, okay, what if this happens? What if this happened? And I would go through a checklist of what I would do. You know, I always had a gun, obviously. And you're always looking. Half the time I turned around and those guys had guns. And they're not supposed to. Ned's main informant was still Toby Anderson, the violent, erratic, biker-slash-country-western singer. Toby was a hand grenade with a pin out. He just, it was just a matter of time till he self-destructed or just, 
died in a hail of bullets or, or something. He just, you just couldn't control him. He's just crazy. He was difficult to manage, yes, but he was also giving that just enough, you know, crumbs. He'd connect him with other bikers. He'd help him set up drug busts. Enough so that Ned could tell his bosses, look, I'm making progress. Like, at one point, Toby introduces him to another criminal. And together, the three of them set up a sting out in California. Their plan was to get meth from some dealers way out in the sticks. There's a big field and there's mountains up each side. And uh, there's some hillbilly there at the gate and uh, he meets us and gets us through this gate and it's you know it's just a two-track sagebrush cactus and just high mountain desert and uh, we get near the barn and out comes this freaking 500 pound pig I mean a big pig and I said what the fuck is it oh that's the guard hog that's what I mean I said well he smells people if they're you know, in the mountains are trying to surveil us or whatever. He'll, and, and that's true. A pig has one of the best noses in the world. What really surprised Ned is what these hillbillies are feeding their prized guard pig. They'd soak a bug onion, sweet onion in, in meth, and throw it to the pig. The pig loved it. I mean, he, he's like, ah, ah, you know, he wanted, a, he wanted a fucking onion. And, you know, I just didn't really trust him because he's really fucking big and he's got tusks and shit. And this was Ned's life now sneaking past a drugged-up pig. Slide open the barn door and it's all hay. Pull out a bale in the middle and you can crawl through the, you crawl through the tunnel, through the hay bales, and you come into a big room. And there's 30 stations set up for when they cook. Ned said it was the biggest meth lab he'd ever seen. He handed off the intel and a few weeks later, the authorities busted the place. And it also clarified something for Ned. Yeah, he was a full-time undercover FBI agent, trying to figure out if the rumors he'd been hearing were true. But he also had another, maybe equally important job title now, babysitter. We're, we're driving someplace, and all of a sudden, Toby's in the back seat and pulls out a gun. Well, he could have just easily popped one in the back of my head. But uh, I was so pissed at him that we you know, pulled over, took the gun away from him, and threw it off the cliff. You know, he, knew, he knew he had he had his tail between his legs. You know he knew he got spanked. I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, Episode Two. What will the neighbors think? Ned kept pushing Toby for intel, and sometimes, apparently, Toby would just lose it on Ned, saying that he was scared their cover would be blown, that word might get out among Detroit's biker gangs that Toby was an informant and that they were working together. In Ned's noir novel, he depicts one of Toby's panicked rants. Toby tells him, They'll kill us, bros. We fuck up, and they'll kill us, you understand? No one will even find the bodies. Just shoot us and stick us in a vat of acid or some shit. 
And you have any idea how fucking dangerous this shit is? Ned nodded, but Toby grabbed him by the arm, leaned in close. Close enough he could smell the ether, the cigarettes, and the B.O. Do you, bros? You fucking better. Cause it's me and you out there dangling. Right over the goddamn edge. The dialogue may sound a bit stilted, but Ned insists the essence is accurate, and that, in a way, the distrust was mutual. Ned was keenly aware of how dangerous, how precarious their relationship was becoming. You don't just go out in an hour and do something and get a fugitive or whatever. We work for days sometimes. We're staying in hotels, we're traveling, we're flying together, we're driving together. You know, if you don't trust that guy, uh, you got a problem because my neck is, is at risk and his neck is at risk and both of us are at risk. So I better trust him and he better trust me for the stuff we were doing. Despite the risks, Ned was increasingly comfortable in his new habitat. Not just that, he kind of liked it. Liked being Ed Thomas. Liked riding his Harley, staying out late in the bars, gathering intel. I must though, because I was doing it. There's a lot of adrenaline to it. You're out there on, on, on the edge, you know, hanging onto the edge of the cliff with your fingernails all the time. No one at the office was exactly telling Ned to go to these lengths, but he felt that he needed to be on duty all the time to do his job right. You know, we did a zillion other drug deals, so we, we always had something going on. What does this do to your home life? Destroys it. You live it. You live it 24-7. You're always waiting for the next call, whether they wreck a car, steal a car, break into a house, shoot somebody, stab somebody. It's, it's endless. It's like taking care of juvenile delinquents that are adult killers. Back home, Ned's wife Kathy was discovering that her husband's alter ego was taking over. Ed Thomas now needed his own room. We had three bedrooms. One was more like a guest room, and the, I think we had a desk in there and stuff like that. I recall that he said, hey, yeah, they're going to put in a, an undercover phone here at the house, you know, so if it rings, you know, you're, you're, I'm, I'm going to, you know, here's your name, and just, you know, answer it and be cool, you know, act like you're my girlfriend. I go, why do I have to act like I'm your girlfriend? Why can't I just be your wife? Kathy was an FBI agent in Detroit, too, and she'd also gone undercover, just once. I did one undercover thing, one time, and I was not at all comfortable with it. I felt like everybody can look at me and see that I'm a cop. Kathy had spent the night at a gambling joint run by the mob, getting to know the criminals. Then the cops busted in. Everyone, hands up against the wall. Then they told Kathy, you're good. You can put your hands down now. But I was, I just was like, no, I, I don't, I'm so embarrassed now in front of these people who have been so nice to me all night. And I just wanted out of there. I was just like, yeah, don't ever make me do something like that again. That's not me. I'm not comfortable in that situation. I feel like a big fat liar is written like all across my forehead. Her husband, Ned, he didn't seem to have that problem. He seemed comfortable with the pressure and the deception, or maybe it was more than that. I think Ned always was what um, one of one of his um, supervisors described Ned as an edge worker. Ned was always right at the edge of going off to the criminal side. And then one day he did the unthinkable. 
he brought the criminals home with him to his leafy upscale suburban house. Just shows up with Toby and one of his sidekicks. They all just sauntered up the driveway together. Well, um, they looked just like motorcycle guys. Um, the hair, the, 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 you know, instead of having a belt, having belts that are like chains or whatever, um, their jeans are not like fashionable. Their jeans are just, you know, beat up jeans and, and uh, you know, they've got Fu Manchu mustaches and long hair. They're not trying to give an appearance of, like, good-looking. I thought, oh my God, what will my neighbors think? I hope they didn't see them come in, um, because they look like really rough characters. And um, my neighbors belong to Oakland Hills Country Club. No one, and I truly mean no one here, would ever mistake Toby or any of his buddies for golfers. This was like the ultimate intrusion into my life, into our life. It just is unheard of, you know. Um, it just was. It was not appropriate, and it was. Uh, it was. I felt it was dangerous. People could could have, you know followed them or seen them or, you know, now they know where we live. Okay, so that's Kathy the homemaker worrying. But here's Kathy the FBI agent, and she's also worried. I had a lot of my own informants, and they would never have um, come to my home, or I never even would have, like, lunch with them or something. I mean, I'm an FBI agent. I'm a, I'm a law enforcement person. Why would they even want to sit down any place and be seen with me? You've, you've just compromised that confidential relationship. I spoke to a number of Ned's former colleagues, and they pretty much all agreed with Kathy. No one brought an informant home with them. It was too risky. Oddly enough, the one person I spoke with from Ned's FBI days who had also done this was his direct supervisor. He told me that he and Ned were, quote-unquote, rebels. For his part, Ned defends himself, saying it was a judgment call. The decision to bring Toby home, it was calculated. Well, it depends on how much trust you have in your sources. And that also builds trust with the sources, the sources that can get you killed any second. Well, I'm curious. Did you do it just out of kind of professional relationship building, or did you do it because these were your friends and this was your wife? I think to build a bond with the sources, you depend on those guys not to stand up and say, hey, he's a fucking FBI agent. And, and you have to build this bond. So whatever I was doing seemed to work. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I can't teach it. I can't say that's what to do. But that's what I did. Kathy, she didn't like it, but she didn't confront Ned or overrule him. And Ned never really asked for permission either. Oh, no, 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 no. No, see, Ned never checked in with me first on anything. Um, our marriage was more like, hey, look, um, we're going to move to a new house. Come here, I'll take you and you will look at it. My marriage was more traditional in that regard that, you know, he said what we were going to do. Back then, <laughs> I'm going to blame this on the times a lot, but probably also the way I was raised, it just did not occur to me to object to my husband. He has this. He's got this. It'll be fine. 
But this wasn't a one-off occasion. Ned brought Toby home with him multiple times. Kathy remembers them all hanging out on the back deck, cooking burgers, super casual. It was kind of the opposite of the whole undercover shtick. You know, like in Donnie Brasco, where the FBI agent has two completely separate lives. One is a gangster and one is a suburban dad with a Teflon firewall separating them. It was almost as if Ned Timmons and Ed Thomas were morphing into a single being. Perhaps this was inevitable given Ned's strategy of building trust, but this isn't how Kathy sees it. You know, you don't have to choose that path. You don't have to choose to work a case in that way. You don't have to choose to go deep cover. You know, it, it, it all evolves. And um, But I know for him, he felt like it was just spinning into the next, into the next, into the next. And, and he told me that he felt like he didn't know how he was ever going to get out of it. In the midst of all of this, Ned's game plan paid off big time when he gets the break he'd been waiting for. And it involved, of all people, Toby's little brother, a guy who went by the nickname Shine. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. One day, Ned got what seemed like a big lead from Toby, though on its face, it seemed a bit far-fetched. Toby says, hey, I got to tell you, my, my brother is into something really big, and but he won't let us near it because he's afraid I'll rob it. I said, what is it? He says, I, it's, it has to do with airplanes and boats and 
tractor trailer loads of dope coming to Detroit, and Toby knew he was into something big. Ned didn't know exactly what to make of this. Planes, boats, tractor trailers, all filled with weed. Was it possible that Toby, the walking hand grenade, really had a brother who was a big-time criminal orchestrating all of this? If this was true, how had Ned not picked up on this sooner? Toby's brother went by the name Shine. His real name was Clinton Anderson. He died in the late 90s, so I had to kind of piece together a picture of who he was. I don't have the background as to why they called him Shine. But my uncle Clint, in my, in my memories of him, he was a teddy bear. This is Jesse Anderson, Toby's son. Shine was his uncle. And Jesse loved his uncle, adored him. I talked to a bunch of people who knew Shine well, and they all described him pretty much as this big, lovable guy. One person said he would have made a perfect Santa Claus. Another said he looked like Wilford Brimley, you know, the grandfatherly actor who starred in all the Quaker Oats commercials. When things got rough at home for Jesse, he actually went to live with his Uncle Clint for a while. He loved being there. Geez, just like anywhere else, right? Kids running around, playing football in the front yard, you know, um, watching football, watching baseball, you know. Life in the 70s and early 80s, gambling, playing darts, shooting pool. Um, you know, normal way of life. Little Jesse had never seen a dad who could be depended on before. I guess I wanted that for my dad, and that's that's what I always appreciated about my Uncle Clint, was, you know, he, he was, I recall him always being there. And uh, I recall him always, um, you know, never having to worry um, like I did with my dad. In my immediate, you know, uh, line of sight and what I recall, and, and maybe I was blinded by that because I was just so happy to be with my, you know, have a family, have a bed, wake up, go to school, yeah, not great. necessarily have to worry about anything, right? It was, it was great. Jesse says the men in his family tended to be hard and have a short fuse. But I don't remember my Uncle Clinton like that at all. I mean, again, for me, you know, the way that I look at my Uncle Clint was, was, much, like, uh, was much like a savior. Shine had a son named Adam. He was Jesse's older cousin. It took me a long time to track him down. One night, he finally agreed to speak by phone. All right, Jake. Give me a second here. He says that Shine was a jack-of-all-trades. A salesman who sold cars and boats too, though Shine didn't talk about his work a ton. He did keep his, you know, his work and his family separate. He was a good guy, but he he had an edge. Shine was a striver. He was always looking for something beyond the working class suburb where they started out, a place called Melvindale a town dominated by the nearby Ford, GM, and Chrysler plants. Melvindale was, you know, I call it a factory town. Pretty much everybody there worked and worked for the big three. He was working class, good people, but he was kind of like taking me out of that environment, showing me that there was more, like, you know, you can achieve more. You know, you don't have to just be a line worker all your life. Adam had a lot of memories from that time like when his dad came home with a new gadget, a mysterious briefcase filled with meters and electrical wires. The device was known as a PSE, which stood for Psychological Stress Evaluator. 
It was an alternative to the traditional lie detector, and it could be used discreetly, so it didn't require hooking the subject up to any wires or anything. Supposedly, a skilled operator could use it to pick up on micro-tremors in your voice. I spoke to a lot of people who knew Shine and remembered vividly him showing up with his briefcase and testing them. Oh, yes. Everybody took a test. Everybody. There was a, a guy that always carried around this sort of big boxy briefcase, as I recall. Oh, yeah, he could scare the hell out of it. Sure, he was a good bullshitter. You know, all a little nervous about taking this daggone thing. He asks you questions. I guess it works. He asks you what your name is, and you tell him. Then you tell him a lie. And so it, it gives him a, a distinction between the truth and lie. Whether it works or not, it'd scare the shit out of you. So I imagine it would keep people straight. And I'm sure he was one of the most valuable tools they had, you know, in doing this. Shine had graduated from a special course, and now he was a trained PSE operator. He took it seriously. And Adam, like any kid, was curious. It was something different. It was interesting. I didn't know why he was doing it. I'm like, hey, cool, Dad's got a new job, you know. And the job came with perks. Like this one time, his dad took him on a business trip. They flew down to Houston, Texas together. They stayed at this cool hotel that was connected to a big shopping mall. And at some point, Shine tells his son, He's like, hey, I gotta go out for a little while. You know, don't leave, don't leave the room, don't answer the door. Alone in his hotel room, Adam watched TV. Minutes turned to hours, and he began to think about what his dad had said. Don't answer the door. Why not? Who was it that might come knocking? Adam wasn't worried exactly, but he began to wonder, what was his dad up to? But I think, like, maybe whoever he was working with, they had another room in the same hotel. So they could have been just down the hall. I don't believe he left. I think he just, like, grabbed his machine and, you know, went to another room. Adam didn't ask any questions, and he didn't give it too much thought at the time. But eventually, he started to think back to moments like this and wonder. Maybe what his father did was not entirely on the up and up. I mean, who was paying him to carry around that briefcase anyway? In fact, clues began to surface that Shine was much more than just a suburban dad with a mysterious job. One of these clues turned up a thousand miles to the south, way down in Louisiana, on a lonely bayou, very far from Detroit. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 
As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. As Ned continued to investigate the bikers in Detroit, detectives in Louisiana were looking into a big smuggling job. It all began with a guy named Dave Ware. Yeah, I was a helicopter pilot assigned to Louisiana State Police in our Region 2, uh, Southwest Louisiana. One day, Dave gets a tip about an abandoned barge, so he goes looking for it, flies up a lonely stretch of the Vermilion River, a 70-mile-long bayou in southern Louisiana. It's flat. You've got agriculture fields and then areas of heavy marsh and thick jungle-type area. So they were just choppering along. We uh, look down and we see this huge barge tied off with some rope next to some trees. And uh, we're like, well, that's odd. And we were kind of scratching our heads of what to do. And I said, well, I'll just land on the barge. I mean, it's like landing on an aircraft carrier. So they land on the barge. They get out of the chopper. They start poking around. Sure enough, they find a sealed hatch welded into the deck, hidden beneath some coils of rope. And so I went to the cargo hull of my aircraft and dug in my little tool bag I always carried and got a screwdriver and started digging at this rubber sealant. And you got to imagine the sun was out and it was hot. And when I popped that sealant, it spewed just, you know, moisture had come up and the smell of marijuana. And we looked at each other and smiled and said, bingo. The barge itself was quite large and basically empty. All that remained were the dregs, some soggy bales that had somehow gotten wet at the bottom of the boat. Apparently, the rest of the load, totaling a few hundred thousand pounds, had all been unloaded successfully, dry and ready to smoke. A narcotics agent named Roy Fruget took up the investigation. So we walked on the barge and we saw marijuana seeds all over it. We looked through some drawers. We found a Panamanian flag. We found a Colombian flag. Well, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to, to realize that we stumbled upon something that was large in scale and it, that it was uh, international. Eventually, the agents figured out that a local marine contractor had been hired to move the barge up the river. And as luck would have it, the contractors had a receipt with the customer's callback number on it. 
traced the callback number, and it went to a small grocery store in a rural area in Judice, Louisiana. And the name of the store was the Country Boy Grocery Store. So we went to the Country Boy Grocery Store, and I'm talking about a small building. It had a couple of gas pumps in front, had a small meat market inside. They specialized in Cajun food, like stuffed chickens, boudin, cracklings, that sort of thing. So we talked to the owner, because this guy's first language was Cajun French. And he said, with his accent, he said, you know, in the last three months, there's been a lot of foreigners in my store. Said, what do you mean by foreigners? He said, you know, he said, out-of-towners, people with blonde hair and blue eyes and, and tan. He said, you know, Florida-looking people. So, turns out, these Florida-looking people had rented a couple of houses nearby. The agents got search warrants. It was a three-bedroom, two-bath, ranch-style house. It was close to the Country Bar grocery store. And when we hit it, it had lots and lots of bunk beds, lots of beer bottles, lots of cans of beer, some of them half-empty, half-eaten sandwiches on the floor. I remember one of my guys said it looked like a scene from Animal House. Roy starts poking around the living room. And on the coffee table, I saw a large red book, a hardbound New York Times World Atlas. I opened it up, started looking at it, looking actually for the Gulf of Mexico, saw that that there was a chart with a pen uh, marking places through the Gulf of Mexico, and then I backed it up, and it went down to Barranquilla, Colombia. It was quite literally mapped out in front of them, evidence of an international syndicate with routes for smuggling tons of drugs into the United States. But everyone is gone. They don't have a single suspect. Roy and his partner, Harvey Duplantis, continued to search the house. We found a yellow notepad with lines on it, like you would use in school. And it didn't have uh, any writing on it, but it had indentations where somebody had written on the page above it and then tore the page off. Harvey remembered from grade school, he took a, a number two pencil out of his truck and he scratched over the indentations. And we found a note of course, we didn't have the whole note, just whatever came up that Harvey could scribble out there. But it basically said he was bringing more people, more people were on the way. Harvey kneels over the table, carefully rubbing a pencil over the pad, deciphering this cryptic note word by word, the whole thing right out of a Hitchcock movie. This is exactly what Cary Grant does in North by Northwest. And it works. At the bottom of the pad, there's actually a signature Someone wrote their name, as if authorizing these orders. And slowly, the letters of the name appear. S-H-I-N-E. Shine. Back in Detroit, Ned had no idea what had gone down in Louisiana. He was back at the office, doing a bit of good old-fashioned detective work, following up on that tip that Toby had given him about his brother. And the deeper Ned dug into Shine's life, the more he found. We're looking at what he has, a house and cars and everything, and no source of income. And then we're pulling phone records, bank records, and everything, and huge deposits of, you know, 50,000, 60,000 at a time. And we're getting uh, travel records from credit cards. And Ned says that those travel records were suspicious. For instance, 
Shine had spent some time down in the Cayman Islands, which was known as a money laundering hub. So might Shine be his guy? The one Ned had been looking for? The key to it all? If Ned was right, he had found his link to a distant, shadowy drug network. But it didn't seem like he had quite enough to go on. Ned believed if he could just sit down with Shine, talk to him, man to man, he might be able to work him, maybe even flip him. He was starting to strategize, even though he didn't have much to threaten Shine with, except maybe his badge. It sounds like you were doing some serious bullshitting of your own. And also, you could be barking up the wrong tree. You don't know for sure the magnitude, or the right? Part of the game, yeah. The FBI knows a lot, but a lot of it is a game to try to ferret out the information you need. When you throw down the FBI badge and credentials, it horrifies guilty people. They think the FBI knows everything. Next time on Deep Cover, Ned goes to flip Shine. Shine had a family, and he was really a, a devoted family guy. You know, I just said, I'm going to take every penny they got. I'm going to take the house. I'm going to take the cars. I'm going to take the bank accounts. Everything's going to be gone. And that struck a dagger in him. Deep Cover is produced by Jacob Smith and edited by Karen Shikurji. Our story editor is Jack Hitt. Original music and our theme was composed by Luis Guerra, and Flawn Williams is our engineer. Fact-checking by Amy Gaines. Mia Lobel is Pushkin's executive producer. Ned's novel is read by Walton Goggins. Special thanks to Julia Barton, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, Lital Malad, Maya Koenig, Eric Sandler, Maggie Taylor, Khadija Holland, Zoe Gwen, and Jacob Weisberg at Pushkin Industries. Special thanks also to Jeff Singer at Stowaway Entertainment. I'm Jake Halpern. dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for 
extraordinary perks. Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus